Welcome to the Game Design Hacks. I'm Dale. I'm Tom. In this episode, I'm going to play a short hike and talk about procedural generation in Godot. And I'm going to be talking about Gardenscapes, um, everyone's favorite game ads. All right, cool. Cue the intro. Yeah, let's do it. Welcome to episode five of the Game Design Hacks, where we're talking a miscellaneous episode where we discover a couple of things, a couple of short things, including hikes that are short. Uh, But before we get into all kinds of those things, uh, what's going on in the news? The news. News. Do we have a news segment theme? Um... Surely, surely we must, right? We've done a few newses by now. Well, we use Dr. Doctor for reviews. <laughs> <laughs> There's a simple edit we could make there. <laughs> just put the original one in. <laughs> yeah, or um, just record me saying the word news, and you can put that over the top of reviews. Doctor, Doctor, give me the news. I got a bad game that needs to improve, so I can... All right, so what's new in the news? Uh, First thing we've got to talk about is that the Microsoft acquisition of Bethesda has gone through. Um, So we're going to see some Microsoft Game Studios Bethesda open worlds. We're going to see some id software Microsoft stuff. Uh, This could be potentially pretty big. Yeah, I I don't know how to feel about it, really, because, I mean, Bethesda has sort of, I think, sort of lost a lot of respectability in um, recent years with, uh, you know, uh, Elder Scrolls Blades and Fallout 76. um, And I don't know if Microsoft's going to make that better. Yeah. Um, I mean, id Software are definitely going from strength to strength with uh, with their most recent Doom Eternal being, by all accounts, a very good game. Uh, but you're right, Bethesda Game Studios themselves have had um, some quality issues in recent years. And uh, I don't know, maybe, maybe that's uh, the kind of thing that they need. Maybe, is it a money thing? Yeah, it doesn't seem like it's a money thing, does it? Maybe if they've got their, uh, like they don't have to get such, you know, such uh, strict monetization into their games and if it's all about the experience all of a sudden maybe they uh, might churn out something that's a little bit um, more along the lines of the Skyrims and older RPGs that they did. Yeah, it's, I'm, I'm not sure what the creative team at Bethesda is like these days um you know sort of todd howard sort of very clearly taken bethesda in one direction and i don't know sort of how much free reign he's going to get um now that it's part of microsoft yeah well it seems like microsoft in their um more recent fashion are taking to the kind of leave them well alone model that they seem to be adopting with double find and other recent acquisitions um i did read that bethesda are still doing a a E3-like game showcase this year. Um, it, it was something they had scheduled before the acquisition, 
and they're going to be showing off, I, I presume, a couple of game logos again uh, for upcoming things that aren't necessarily ready yet to show in proper, or maybe they've finally got that um, new Elder Scrolls thing to show pieces of. Yeah, um, like, I mean, the, the Fallout franchise is the one that sort of has a special place in my heart, and, you know, after Fallout 76 and Fallout 4, to be honest, I'm not sure, like, if Bethesda understands what makes Fallout good anymore mm. um but you know um, i'm willing to be pleasantly surprised it would be pretty tone deaf for them to sort of continue to um you know be so departed from stuff now that they've had this much uh, negative feedback i guess yeah like i mean my philosophy is making bad games in a franchise doesn't erase the existence of the good ones so you know yeah. maybe they'll get the right creative team and strike gold but if not, then, you know, they're only really hurting themselves by producing sub-quality content. I haven't really played much of the uh, recent stuff. I don't think there's any Bethesda Studios titles that I've really dove into. I know you played a lot of Skyrim back in the day. Yeah, and, you know, I'm, I'm not entirely sure why. It's, uh, <laughs> like, it's game. it was a game that I enjoyed at the time, um, but it's also a game that I don't really think about an awful lot anymore. And it might be just because, you know... We've seen so many iterations of it and, like, Skyrim just sort of saturated popular culture. Um, but, yeah, like, I, I don't know how much there is to learn from Skyrim as a game. Like, I yeah. think there's things to learn from, like, Morrowind and there's things to learn from, obviously, like, the early ones like Daggerfall and stuff like that. But it's uh, it just seemed like a very minor iteration on an idea that was shinier and bigger than the previous games but you know didn't move the genre forward an awful lot yeah i guess so i, I mean yeah there were a lot of citations from um nintendo uh development studios uh on on skyrim being an influence for breath of the wild and uh as well as witcher 3 those being the two that kind of came out and I understand that might have had something to do with the fact that Skyrim was also launching for the Switch pretty early on as well, so it might have been them uh, pulling double duty for a third party. But yeah. um, it certainly seems like uh, that could be true. Yeah, like, I mean, the I'm trying to think of, like, what the things in Skyrim I found that were really interesting that I hadn't played in a Elder Scrolls game before. Like, I guess the, the dragon shouts were kind of, like, an interesting way to sort of get people to explore the map and sort of tease them into places that they wouldn't be. But um, yeah, I don't know. It's... Oh, right. Yeah. Well, I think I think maybe that's it. It's prominent. Like Skyrim gave a lot of that Elder Scrolls formula uh, its mainstream prominence. So while it might not have been quite as, um, uh, quite as inventive, it definitely brought the versions that everyone became familiar with, whether it's like the, um, you know, the blacksmithing and forging your own swords or... Uh, you know, going and harvesting pelts and all of that sort of stuff. Even if it wasn't new for the series, it was definitely a lot of people's first touch point with the Elder Scrolls series, and that might have been why it has left its impression. Yeah, that could be it. Um, yeah, like, I, I, I'm sure there's another really good Elder Scrolls game in the future um, if the right people get, you know, their hands on the reins. But uh, hopefully Microsoft puts those people in charge <laughs> yeah well we'll see hey and yeah one of the other things to kind of crop up in the last uh week or two has been the uh the switch pro has started showing up on 
uh, third-party manufacturing lines. Uh, a leak coming from the Samsung manufacturing line states that the Switch Pro will have a 7-inch screen, and there are mixed reports saying that it will also use NVIDIA's new upscaling technology which is the i've forgotten the name of it it's um but it's essentially ai upscaling um using um yeah using ai to just upscale and add extra detail and images um so this looks quite promising uh, nintendo of course have no comment on the matter but um i think yeah this this could be what it needs to kind of stay fresh it's not the newest kit out there by a long stretch um you know, some games looking at the latest Crash Bandicoot 4 do look a little bit, um, you know, low fidelity. Um, I mean, they always did next to their uh, PS4, PS5 counterparts, but now they're looking low fidelity all on their own. Yeah. Um, are you considering an upgrade if one becomes available? Look, I'm not the kind of Nintendo fanboy that would line up at midnight for breath of the wild oh wait no i am yes i will get it immediately <laughs> yeah no i well one of the things is my nintendo switch is a cactus at the moment like uh i've got drift in both of my joy cons so oh. i can sort of put the uh i can put my switch down and it plays itself <laughs> uh, um but yeah like i mean i'm i'm excited about the the prospect of 4k switch games um even if they're being translated to 4k by robots um, <laughs> a different class of robots um do you have a ps5 or um any other next gen console at the moment no no i think the like the latest or the most horsepower i have is probably my pc and then the ps4 and i don't really use my pc for that um my work laptop's pretty beefy as well like it's uh, because I work in VR, it's kind of got to be. Yeah, no, um, I'm considering an upgrade. Um, but yeah, the consoles are just so hard to get at the moment that, you know, if the Switch Pros um, got better distribution than um, Xbox or PlayStation, then I'll definitely grab it first. Yeah, yeah, I think um, I'm not expecting much from it. Honestly, like a lot of those mid, uh, sort of mid gen upgrades from Nintendo tend to be, you know, maybe 1.5 times the clock speed and have a couple of new features, but overwhelmingly not introduce anything to make the experience any different. Uh, if I'm just going off like the DSi and then the 3DS, uh, new 3DS, they're, they're kind of like slightly higher clock speeds. They've got maybe, you know, one extra feature, like, in the 3DS's case, it had the second stick, um, which is cool for Majora's Mask, but otherwise no games use it. Yeah, though um, if it does have a upgrade to its horsepower, then I might finally be able to play City Skylines on the Switch, which um, I'd be very excited about. Oh, was that a pretty bad frame rate? Yeah, yeah, it was um, not worth it. Right, because I have heard that uh, the Unity engine has taken just a little while to get its like graphics pipeline just right there so i'm sure if it's not one that's had a lot of patches that it's something that they could definitely get improvements out of yeah and you know maybe it's already had that patch but um i remember when i was researching it because i get very excited about uh simulation games um <laughs> but yeah reddit was just plastered with um reviews of people going you know i'm getting 15 frames a second out of this piece of garbage wow yeah, times have changed. 15 frames is 
not super painful for a game that you don't like non-action game i guess oh, yeah i don't know like for for a sim game yeah sure there's a couple of what a hundred cars a couple of hundred sims i don't know i i haven't paid heaps of close attention but it seems like that would still be kind of playable wouldn't it yeah i guess it depends on like how much you're sort of zooming in and out of your city mm. yeah fair enough uh and you were going to talk about metopia for a bit um yeah, I'll, I'll try to talk about it for a bit. Um, all that happened was I watched the, the trailer for it and got uh, very excited. Is Metopia the one uh, that that was on, like free on the 3DS, wasn't it? Uh, I think so. I, um, I never really played it much on the 3DS, but I've always sort of liked the idea of a um, sort of customizable fantasy world um, like this. And I know there's been like a couple of um, indie studios that have tried to um, produce games like this but you know with the the weight of nintendo behind it i think it could be quite an interesting idea it sort of looks like um it's lifting a lot of stuff from animal crossing and um it's about creating a, a virtual space sort of more than a game okay. at least in the traditional sense so this is actually a role-playing game uh, yeah okay yes so i must have been thinking of um a smaller experience on the 3ds uh yeah okay this looks interesting yeah, yeah. and you know it was originally a 3ds game um it so, kind of seems like the the Mies have vanished for a couple of years yeah um there's definitely not much of it there uh it seems like there's a few things that like just from the wii u that nintendo have just i mean i know they're from the wii originally but they doubled down on them in the wii u and it seems like they've kind of gone a knee-jerk reaction in the opposite direction there and i'm not sure that that's the right thing because those weren't the problems with the wii u um if anything i really liked things like the miiverse and the and the extra me integration and stuff i thought it was all really cool um and i don't think anyone that i don't think anyone found that unappealing yeah i feel like if they had have released the switch and it was a wii u but in that new format then it probably would have done just as well. Yeah. Well, it's like, it feels like digital avatars in general have sort of both gone out of Vogue and are now coming back into Vogue with, um, like, I mean, a lot of social media platforms are all introducing digital avatars. And, um, yeah. you know, depending on sort of how much um, Nintendo invests in Miitopia, maybe they're coming back to video game consoles as well. Yeah, I, I definitely think so. Like, I was waiting basically for that stage at which the Switch got a full me based system like the previous two, and it just never really came. You know, they, I thought the first time I saw the Switch menu, I was like, oh, okay, so this is what it's going to be for the first year or something. And it yeah. never really changed. Yeah, no, you expecting to see like all your friends avatars walking around in the background and yeah that, that was of... so cool yeah yeah, uh, yeah. But, um, nintendo kind of set the gold standard in making an avatar of yourself and they've just kind of left it they've walked away from it entirely yeah what was like the um there was like a me big brother type game where you like all living on an island you could vote for people to is it Tama something life. Uh, Tamadachi life. Tamadachi life, yeah. Yeah, yeah I, that, that had like a very dedicated fan base. Yeah, I, I never really got to play that. Um, it's an interesting idea though. Yeah, like the, uh, the other thing about um, 
digital uh, or virtual avatars is um, most games are very sort of protective of them and it can be kind of restricting for game development. Um, yeah. Like I remember the Xbox ones had rules about, you know, you couldn't show the avatars like emitting bodily fluids so like they can't bleed or throw up or anything like that and those are my two favorite things to do in a game (laughs) yes uh yeah i i don't know i've never seen the nintendo dev docs on um on avatars or on that specifically uh i'm sure they have it there and you know the the Wii U developer program was right open there at the end, so I definitely have access to some of that stuff. But yeah, that'd be an interesting thing to read into, because you know, like I know um, there's like several avatar docs that are very restrictive of like how much violence you can do um, to an avatar. Which you know, I don't know if you've played many video games, Dale, but they uh, rely on violence pretty heavily. Hmm. Yes, yeah, the first time I ever saw a man jump on a creature and smother it to bits in a Nintendo game. It was the first jump in Mario 1-1. I knew that I was in for a very violent genre. And that Goomba, I presume, was paralyzed, but it didn't matter because I fell off a cliff shortly thereafter. Yeah, you've been jumping on animals ever since. Yeah, I got a cat. I had a cat. (laughs) Now I've got a coin. Ah, uh, yes. Well, I guess um, that brings us to what are we playing? What are we playing in this segment of the show? What are we playing in this segment of the show? So, Tom, why don't you go first this time? What have you been playing? Um, I have been playing Gardenscapes by Playtrix. Ooh, so I don't know anything about this. Really? No. I'm- have, have you I? not seen a um, ad in a free-to-play game in, like, the last two years? Apparently not. Yeah. Okay, I'm going to look this up. Oh, that. Like, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Right? Yeah. Okay, so why have you been playing this? Um, well, I mean, for one, I make mobile games um, professionally, so it's, you know, you kind of just need to keep an eye on trends and like it's one of the biggest games in the world so regardless of how good it is as a game you you kind of need to be familiar with it and the other thing is i just kind of felt like playing a match three game um and okay you know i thought well i should really be playing this game to learn from it um i might as well give it a go and like it's exactly what it says on the box it is a match three game that is just sort of polished to the nth degree it is like the the smoothest smooth mobile gaming experience you can possibly have um but the the thing i find really interesting about it is i don't know how familiar you are with the uh story behind the games uh not the games the ads for homescapes and gardenscapes no not at all okay so for the longest time um the longest time being about two years um they were sort of longest time yeah they were just one of those games that would always show up on your um in-game ads um but the the thing was that the gameplay in the ads they were showing had nothing to do with what the actual game was so there were those ads where there's like a bald man with a mustache who is actually in the game is like you know trapped on an iceberg with a busty lady who's cold and then you have to like choose whether to start a fire for her or feed her to a bear and then (laughs) they click on the wrong button and she gets fed to a bear (laughs) and then you know there's a title that says this game is so hard download gardenscapes now 
and then you download Gardenscapes and it's a match three game about uh, (laughs) (laughs) building a garden. (laughs) Wait, so yeah, those interactive, I think I have seen a couple of, uh, if I haven't seen these interactive ads, I have seen interactive ads, nothing to do with the game, you say? Well, it originally had nothing to do with the game and then to get a try and you know appease um the advertising regulators they introduced dream sequences into the game where you played out these like terrible scenarios it'd take like 10 seconds in game and then you're just back to the regular actually monetized game loop <laughs> um but yeah I was, I was reading into it a little bit and it looked like last year the uk ad authorities said no you can't do that <laughs> Um, and yeah, they had to pull the ads, but I think they're still playing in other places around the world. Um, right. but yeah, like I, I, I don't know how they ended up with those ads. It was sort of like in the same era that, that you were getting like those weird generative kids, um, videos on YouTube of like Superman or like, or Spider-Man impregnating Elsa with like a needle and like all this weird surrealist imagery. And it just seemed to be like, you know, algorithmically trying to, um, trick people in into watching it like sort of without any kind of artistic vision but just taking all these weird inputs and creating something just designed to you know um maximize the algorithm and it turned out that these ads you know maximized people downloading the game just the problem was it had nothing to do what with what the game actually was right so i'm just looking this up the the developer is called playrakes and they're based in dublin Oh no! Wait, Russia, but headquartered in Dublin. Okay, so they're. Kind I of think that's a tax Russia. thing. Right, right. Yes, that makes sense. Eighteen offices: Russia, Ireland, Ukraine, Belarus, Serbia. So mostly Eastern European, uh, Eastern Europe, and Russia by the looks, and then Ireland as well. Okay, so that yeah, that does sound quite cynical. That advertising model. <laughs> yeah. So you're just playing the game. So did did one of these ads? get you or did you just you know you're like i know this game is big i've got to jump in and see how it ticks uh it was more the i was familiar with the game and wanted to jump in and see how it ticks um because you know like i mean it's it gets talked a lot about in mobile gaming circles because like i said it's one of the biggest games in the world and it's sort of monetized out the wazoo and apparently has pretty good retention as well um and so i want to say well I wonder what gets people to play it and keep playing it. Um, mm. And yeah, like it, it is just like a super smooth um, match three experience with a fairly competently implemented meta game to it. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you, you do your Candy Crush style match three challenges that puts you back out into the meta overworld map where you can spend the stuff that you uh, or the gold pieces that you earned in the match to um repair this um derelict garden um and there's like a little bit of like narrative fluff wrapped around it um but yeah like it's it's a fairly satisfying loop and the thing that sort of surprised me is i've been playing for a couple of hours now and it doesn't feel like i've been um pinched yet okay um like there was a, a couple of moments where and it's kind of really interesting once you start reading into like just sort of how m- much maths there is behind match three games um so when you know all the colored fruit or candy or whatever it is jumble down the screen like that's not 
completely random. There are yeah. very like um, sophisticated algorithms, like generating like rows ahead of time to try and either like optimize how many combos you are likely to get at any given yeah. moment, and that sort of gives you the you know dopamine rush or conversely algorithms that sort of cut you off so you run out of lives or whatever and are sort of pressed into spending money um in the game and there's definitely been a couple of levels where i've got the um hey you're having deliberately bad luck um oh you've run <laughs> out of lives but you can replenish those with um currency that you earn in game so i've never actually been at the point where it's like well i can't continue playing anymore unless i spend real money um but yeah i'm i'm starting to think that those early you're being pressed um to spend your in-game currency to continue is sort of training me for further down the track when i run out of those resources and it's like oh wow you've come so far well maybe you just open up your wallet and uh we can we can give you a few more lives and you can have another crack at it hey <laughs> So, um, according to Wikipedia, as of the 31st of October 2020, there are 7,026 levels. How many levels do you think you've done so far? Uh, I think I'm up to level 70. <laughs> so, yeah, that's there's a 70 in 7,026. Yeah. Um, anyway, like, I mean, it's it was sort of one of the early adopter games of having a meta wrapped around a match three game, um, which I think is why it has retained people so well and is probably the reason why it needs 70,000 or whatever levels um, just to, yeah. you know, keep enough content to um, keep the hogs happy. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, so how's it compared to, like, I'm familiar with uh, Candy Crush, which was obviously going gangbusters when I was back in mobile development last and... Also, I think, um, like, uh, Clash Royale and Clash of Clans were both pretty big then, too. Mobile Strike was pretty big. So yeah. it's doing a lot better than those at the moment, is it? Um, like, I mean, I think they, they also have their own unique um, player bases and um, retention um, issues. Like, um, I know Clash of uh, or Clash Royale has done a couple of sort of redesigns around its meta and monetization in recent years um, to sort of keep those to keep the cash pipe open um yep. but yeah like you know i think Clash Royale's just a much better game because <laughs> you know there is a game underneath it um mm. whereas uh match three um well i guess sort of the sort of hyper monetized match three that you see in mobile games like they're basically just sort of you know skinner box dopamine um mm. machines um like you know when you're there's not a whole lot of uh tactics in um those games like i think you're mostly just playing for seeing the colors and sounds um as opposed to any sort of actual puzzle solving so does gardenscapes um does it does it provide a bit of a challenge is there a bit of a play there or do you think it's it's mostly just those patterns where it's um you know just trying to evoke that dopamine hit um yeah it's just patterns like they there's a couple of interesting things in it um that i think um candy crush does as well where you know you have to match patterns like over certain tiles to reveal images within a certain number of moves or um they start introducing you know um twists of like uh, locked uh squares that you have to like detonate patterns next to um, like they're all things that i'm sure have been done before in match three games um but there's just sort of like enough 
differences in kind that you sort of feel like you're progressing. And then there's also the progression that you get from the meta of, you know, you've got this big garden map and it's, I think it's the same instinct that games like Animal Crossing and um, Stardew Valley use where you're given a messy space and there's sort of like a a compulsion that people have to clean it up and mm. so the the match three gives you the tools to earn the currency to clean up this space and it's uh i think it just probably lights up different parts of the brain that um compel you to keep going yeah you, you haven't sold me on it yet <laughs> i'm not gonna lie <laughs> yeah like i mean I'm, it's not it's not a good game it is <laughs> Does it have, like, is there anything novel about it? Because everything you've described so far does sound like Candy Crush. No, no, like, I mean, the (laughs) the main gameplay is Candy Crush. All right, all right. But it does the Candy Crush part, and it does the meta part, which, like, I'm sure is derived from other games. Yeah. Just the most. It does the most of those two things and has, like, smoothed it down to, like, such an... It's the same thing as their ads. It's, like, all algorithmically based like iteration over years just smooth absolutely frictionless um and i think it's dangerous and should be destroyed (laughs) yeah it sounds it i (laughs) I think it should burn uh i think you should take the mobile device that it's on burn it um and then maybe burn the house that it was in just to be safe i know you're moving out soon so there's a good opportunity for you to burn a house um yeah uh but uh so what is going to keep you going back other than this sweet, sweet dopamine hit that you need? Is there is there more reason to play this or do we need an intervention or? No, like, I mean, like I said, I sort of picked it up out of professional curiosity first. Um, <laughs> first, you, you're clear to say first there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but like, I'm, I always feel like hesitant to sort of criticize a game like this because there's, there can often be like a sort of snobbery around game mechanics and, you know, unless something's considered a hardcore or, um, you know, AAA game, I think um, a lot of people sort of dismiss, you know, what games can be. Um, and you're like, there's lots of sort of popular, like casual games. I think casual games get a bad rap. And I think there's things to be learned um, and, you know, appreciated in, you know, casual games. But there's... And, you know, like, millions of people play Gardenscapes every day. Mm -hmm. So that by itself, I think, is worth studying and, um, like, investigating in the very least. Um, But, yeah, there's... I think there is something sort of sinister and um, cynical, like you said, at the the core of this game. And I I don't know if it was made with love for a particular (laughs) genre or... um, Yeah, yeah, I, I kind of agree i think in with the casual part like i i also believe casual games get a bad rap i'm not sure that's what this is but um like yeah i i often lament that wii sports was kind of forgotten too quickly it was like a really fun thing to do and it could have been expanded upon quite substantially if people were uh you know willing to get over the fact that waggle wasn't the um, most accurate control scheme, you know, like a lot of the backlash on remote controls, uh, not remote controls, motion controls was um, was felt there. And then you take a look at something like Ring Fit Adventure and you can see that, oh, well, there, there really is still some ingenuity happening in this space and it's still quite good and it's still super casual. 
and anyone can do it and i really like that like good design should be for everyone yeah and you know there's like games like um one of the ones that i'm sort of um partial to is the Dyna dash series um that you know i think a lot of people who would probably enjoy it sort of dismiss it because it's like oh this is a game for you know middle-aged women um or you know people who who don't know what good games are um Whereas it's, I think that sort of multitasking um, time management is such a rich vein of game design that, you know, could be applied in different ways. Like I had a crack at a prototype um, a couple of years ago for a game that um, I was going to call Bread Pirate, where it's basically a, you know, cooking game where you're trying to bake bread to put into cannons to shoot at ships that are sort of surrounding you FTL style. Mm. Um, but yeah, it's there's there's these mechanics in casual games which I think could be um, expanded into much more sophisticated games. But um, in a lot of ways, we just in sort of that mid tier of hardcore um, games you just end up seeing a lot of the same games over and over again whereas i wish people would uh start borrowing ideas from other places yeah yeah no that's fair um and and you're right like there is quite a bit of games aping other games and genres and some of these quote real unquote games um are borrowing pretty heavily from each other as well so yeah you're right the um the comparison is sometimes a little unfair um i guess um We'll go into what I've been playing lately. Uh, so yeah. I've been playing A Short Hike. Uh, so for anyone unfamiliar, A Short Hike is... It's kind of this indie game uh, made by a single developer. His name is Adam Robinson Yu. And basically it's a game where you play as a little bird and you go on a short hike. It lasts a couple of hours, maybe about two and a half hours if you want to, you know, uh, see most of it. And that's incidentally what my running time was. It is a gorgeous little game with uh, Nintendo DS inspired graphics, um, which just looks so nice. And uh, yeah, it's kind of, it's been a really delightful thing. I, I've been promising to talk about it for a couple of apps now and I finally got got my chance to play it and oh, it was just so short. Like I loved it so much that I was lamenting that it was so short by the end of it. Uh, it, it always upsets me when I hear that a uh, you know really thoughtful game like this is made by one person. Yeah it's got a great sense of humor too. Um so it's kind of uh, just t- I'll touch on a couple of points. So you kind of you're navigating around this island. The island is surrounded by ocean and it's got mountains in the middle. Um, so it's very much one of those type of islands. And uh, you just kind of take it at your own pace and you go around and talk to people. Pretty early on, your your character who is a little bird that I've forgotten the name of right now, um, Claire. Claire is the protagonist. There we go. And Claire doesn't have any phone reception, but Claire's expecting a phone call. So Claire has to get reception. And so Claire talks to her auntie or maybe it's grandmother. And her grandmother says, look, if you climb the mountain, you'll be able to get phone reception. And that's the aim of the game is just to climb the mountain so that you can get phone reception. And in doing so, you... um, you know, you meet interesting characters. They all kind of give you clues about what you might be able to do in order to uh, climb the mountain. You obviously need to learn how to climb. 
Uh, you need to learn how to fly because you're a little bird, but you can't really fly. You can glide and uh, you, you slowly gain double jumps and, and the ability to climb and you gain stamina as you go until you can climb high enough in order to eventually scale the mountain. Um, I, I, I'll speak on the aesthetic again for just a moment because it's possibly one of the nicest indie aesthetics I've seen. I haven't seen many people try to ape the 3DS style and or the Nintendo DS style. And look, for all of the pixely jaggedness and lack of anti-aliasing and, and you know, texture detail stuff that there was at the time, this is like a really nice version of that where everything has been carefully kind of, you know, dotted under the pixel grid. And it's absolutely fantastic for it like i am 100 percent going to ape this visual style at some point in the near future yeah it's um it's kind of interesting sort of the evolution of indie game graphics because you know for it seems like for 15 years we've had like indie games sort of aping the pixel art style and um a bit more recently we've sort of had a couple of like ps1 inspired games especially you know there's a whole bunch of horror games and like itch that are all yes you know <laughs> clearly silent hill um inspired um so yeah I, I wonder if this is just what the future of indie games is like where there's just going to be this 15 year gap between you know people playing these games when they're a kid and then you know getting old enough to release their own games in the same style as what they were playing Back, back then so uh in in 2035 there's going to be you know kids that are releasing their first solo developed games that look like um you know the last of us 2 yeah yeah of course <laughs> fantastic uh yeah i really do like the like cause they are sometimes like they are echoes of their that generation like this is an echo of the 3ds generation it does look a little like um you know phantom hourglass is probably the closest parallel that i could take from say the ds that yeah or maybe like new leaf um yeah new leaf's 3ds i I really should be saying ds because it's um it's definitely got that light like that small texture um, Nintendo original DS look, whereas the 3DS kind of upped the fidelity to such a point that texturing was on par with the Wii, I guess. But uh, yeah, this has more of that 3DS kind of feel. And look, I really, really like this look and feel. And I think it's the same for, you know, some of that PS1 style stuff too. It's 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 obviously not PS1. It's like a weird simile of it and it it's always kind of a little bit more polished like the tools today are so good that you can just and also there's no a fine texture uh problems are there on those ps1 like horror games on itch do they bother with like i don't think know, so i think it's all yeah. just post-processing on yeah because that yeah. a fine texture rendering you kind of have to have a triangulator without a gpu in order to have that problem that the ps1 had yeah um but, yeah um, so the the move set in in the character controller here um so this is a very standard um just again like phantom hourglass or like any any third person platformer the controls are camera bound um and you've got a pressure sensitive joystick so yeah it's very much your standard kind of um third-person platformer controls there. You move the jump, slide, and use item. 
your items usually a stick or or can be used in stick-like fashion so you can you know pick up other things and whack people with them it doesn't have any combat it's worth noting that um but yeah it's basic just oh it's got great music too and yeah it's it's two and a half hours of just cruising around an island and slowly ascending and talking to people and having a lovely time it's got a great sense of humor too even if it does feel a little like every character was written by the same one developer in the same one style but <laughs> that one style is lovely so it's that's not really a gripe yeah i guess in like a two-hour game it's you probably don't get sick of it too quickly or notice the um similarity in tones between characters right yeah i mean i i definitely noticed it a bit because it's quite adventure time like where everything's like a little bit of a in-world lingo where there's its own kind of um way of talking um which you know i guess is that uh pendleton ward kind of style um which it's definitely got kind of throughout and um you know i'm sorry adam if it's not that and you're listening which you aren't but you know good on you um great game what a great game um yeah so that's that's been my main thing playing recently and what about on the uh on the developing front uh do we have a watcher making theme we should all right tom so what have you been making um so i've been working on a um module for a tabletop rpg called troika um but uh one of the things that i've been doing in the last week is designing a map for the module um which i've been making in blender okay yeah cool so you're on blender 2.9 yep yep the latest and greatest um so do you have much experience with blender uh not really like um in my last job i did quite a bit of sort of motion graphics um stuff but that was mostly in after effects and i use blender for like a couple of things um but yeah 3d um software overall i'm pretty much a novice hmm. um but yeah and i was uh pleasantly surprised at um how easy blender was to pick up because it's like a piece of software that i keep coming back to every couple of years and have been doing so for you know a long time now so it's um <laughs> it, it's come a hell of a long way since the the first time i played around with it it really has especially if yeah you keep saying you just said uh you keep coming back every couple of years and yeah every couple of years it gets that little bit nicer there was that massive 2.8 overhaul um which i'd gotten really used to 2.7 and it's clunky weirdness um so 2.8 was uncomfortable for me but uh uh yeah ever since i've gotten used to that it's been uh pretty pretty good and i can I know that 2.8 and 2.9 are so much easier to use. So I'm glad that's um, paid off for him because that's, yeah, that's awesome. It's yeah, well, uh, our, our office has recently switched over from using Modo to using Blender as our official um, 3D modeling and animation software. So um, it's it feels like it's in sort of a transition because I know there's lots of studios that are picking up Blender now as um, their preferred tool Um, Mm. so it's good to see it finally being recognized in the big leagues yeah I love how hackable it is to like that having Python built in there's been more than a couple of times where a lot of the time Unity's to blame because you'll end up with something that changes between Unity versions and all of a sudden the Blender file doesn't export in the same way because of the uh, Python script that Unity will use in in order to derive the blender export and quite often you can fix that just by writing a custom exporter for blender and just setting the settings that you want 
and it's not very difficult to do like it's maybe a couple of hours of hacking later you'll have what you want and you can get it exported how you need it to and yeah i, I yeah. really like it and it's got a pretty huge community as well so even if you aren't doing it yourself there's somebody out there that you know likely has created the hack that you're after yeah yeah that's true and um if anybody has any pull with unity and they're listening please tell unity to allow you to pick the fucking blender version that you want to use if you have multiple on your operating system because (laughs) it's beyond a joke how much it can fuck your project if it targets the wrong one yeah totally Uh, Um, but yeah like i mean i've written a couple of modules um, mostly as hobbyist projects. Um, and, you know, one of the things I always like to do is draw a map at the same time that I'm writing. Um, so you've kind of got a um, sort of clear sense of both space and um, content. And um, I think a lot of people make the mistake of either drawing a map first and then, you know, trying to write a story into it or writing a story first and trying to draw a map around it um but uh yeah yeah, and and 3d software is very uh it's a lot of fun um to make the map with because um you can like sort of zoom into individual locations and pretend you're making the opening credits for game of thrones uh yeah i was actually watching um a an interview with uh author and youtuber Lindsay alice about how she built the world for axiom bird no not Axiom Verge, um, Axiom's End, which is her novel released last year, um, which I've actually read through recently. There was a world-building tool that she was using in order to keep track of people, places, things, timelines, all that sort of stuff too. It was an online tool from memory. Was it called World World Anvil? It might have been. Yeah, no, that's what I'm sort of writing in. Um, Because, yeah, it's it's basically like a wiki for narrative storytelling and, like, it's um deliberately sort of uh pitched at novelists and um rpg uh, makers Um, okay but yeah it's got lots of really cool tools for you know putting a map down and being able to stick pins in it that link to articles and um sort of being able to build this very rich interconnected uh database of information right yeah so um you're doing a similar sort of thing but you're building yours in a 3d space is that the deal i was just making the the map in a 3d space and then i was rendering that out um and then using those as sort of you know inspirations for writing and then you know the writing would sort of inspire me to add things to the map and i'd sort of go back and forward like that yeah that's really cool yeah i haven't really tried any of that sort of world building stuff but i guess similarly i tend to like when i'm making adventure games i tend to write the dialogue engine pretty quickly like one of the first steps i'll do so that when i'm placing things around the world i'll give them a little bit of placeholder dialogue and then start building it out so i guess i kind of build organically in the same way with that stuff Uh, not that i've done anything like massive i have done like a couple of games that are adventure games that last an hour or so um yeah but not not um sort of built a massive sort of thing like what you're trying to build there yeah uh, it's like such a great experience like being able to express yourself like in these different um sort of mediums um like being able to both write and you know create 3d worlds and produce the logic for them it's um i i would encourage anyone to like 
try and dabble in as many disciplines as they possibly can because um, it's a it's a very empowering feeling to be able to do all these things by yourself yeah cool um well i've been continuing my journey with godot lately and uh speaking of modeling and building worlds that's kind of what i've been doing except rather than building worlds i'm building the tools to build worlds yeah you've taken it a step a step further than i have (laughs) yeah well i'm very much in the early stages of uh, something that i definitely hope to share and make open and available to the godot community which is a spline based world building tool um this idea was inspired by uh mario 3d world and discussions i had with a uh, former workmate at Halfbrick and uh, some work we did on a Unity-based tool. And I was kind of like, I want to be able to build one for the Godot community because there isn't one that's great. And I also want to be able to build my own game worlds out because after a while I've kind of gotten, I'm not going to say sick of procedural generation, but I've kind of just realized that it's not going to be, um, it's not going to be the solve that I want for most of the games that I want to build. I've built two fairly large procedural generation games now. Uh, one of them's releasing soon on iOS, uh, so look out for Foxtrot Roll, lol. Um, and the <laughs> other one is uh, uh, Swipe Stuff, and they're both very much procedurally generated games with all of the meta generation systems and all of that stuff and both of them lean really heavily into different types of procedural generation um but what i've had a lot more um success with uh or a lot more fun with uh or a lot more fun playing my own stuff with is building adventure games quickly with procedural modeling tools where you are shaping the world and you're making an experience of a finite length. And then recently playing a short hike, I kind of realized that I am like really excited about the idea of making a two hour game uh, of my own with my own world building tools. And the first step there is procedural modeling tools. And like I'm already very very uh, happy with the progress and I'm, I'm about to start building a test sandbox uh, to to a, a game that isn't the adventure game that I want to make but instead it'll be a game that really puts these path building tools to the test what kind of game can you think of Tom might have winding paths and really big environments and spline based generated stuff i don't know maybe some sort of uh maybe sonic inspired game yeah some kind of sonic inspired game right yeah like <laughs> some kind of hedgehoggy sonic spy I, I mean you didn't really beat around the bush did you no <laughs> <laughs> no i got it in one yeah you got it in one uh it helps that there's a note sheet but you got it in one um yeah so i'm i'm just i've decided i'm gonna do the rite of passage thing. Every game developer at some stage needs to make a better 3D uh, game than Sonic Team. And I figure it's my turn now. Um, So, uh, yeah, I just want to get these tools good enough to be able to make a a fun prototype Sonic level. And, uh, you know, obviously with loop-de-loops being a great way to, you know, and and spline paths being a great way to test out like sonic level design not that that's what the focus of my adventure game is but it's a really good way to test the limits in procedural mesh generation and uh you know sonic levels tend to be pretty long 
because of the speed and uh, it's a good way to test how quickly it is to build things too um so uh if you've ever seen you know houdini and those other uh procedurally modeling uh engines then this is kind of like that except way simpler and way more platform specific and uh yeah uh, so far so good and hoping within like a month or two to release an open source module onto the godot store it looks cool i, I got to see a demo before we started recording and uh i can testify how cool it is it will be really fun to sort of see what some people can make with it um i'll probably make a few asset packs for it too um like i'm not aiming to like sell those for money or anything like that but um like I might do something like that as like have an inbuilt one, but also do a couple of like and get some extension packs or some sort of thing there if I feel like subsidizing the dev of it. But I don't know. The procedural modeling stuff for Godot is coming along pretty well and I'm hoping to release that soon. But yeah, also a Sonic game. So I watched a really, really long video on YouTube about the animation in Sonic. This wasn't because uh, I wanted to... Uh, th it, it's more that I wanted to make a Sonic game and I went to look for something and I found this amazing YouTube channel that I'm absolutely certain everybody needs to look at. It's called New Frame Plus. And if you're at all interested in game animation, uh, then it's definitely worth a look. But recently... Uh, New Frame Plus had a breakdown on the animation of Sonic games. The breakdown runs for an hour and 45 minutes. That's a, a lot of run cycles. It is. And it's absolutely awesome. It goes through like the, the fallings of it. It goes through what works well. Uh, some of the games with good animation might surprise you. Sonic Boom, for example, not a good game, but it is a well-animated game. Oh, yeah. So it's an hour and 45 minutes. It's New Frame Plus. It goes through all of the history of Sonic animation. And uh, it's actually a, a delightful watch. It shows you the shortfalls of some of the um, Sonic games that are there. It shows you things that really work. The games that work are not always the ones you'd expect. Like Sonic Boom, for example, has amazing animation, but is not a very good game. Whereas on the other hand, uh, you know, a couple of the more recent ones like Sonic Forces, which is not terrible, but not great. The animation really regressed for that. Uh, Sonic Lost World also has great animation, but they seem to have forgotten in the interleaving game which parts were good and which parts weren't. <laughs> um, but the early part shows how much character there is in the early Sonic games. Um, and that's really what I've been looking to try to do in 3D, is try to find some of the character in the early Sonic games and... and distill that in a 3d environment and so that means i'm throwing out a lot of the stuff about the boost style gameplay that you know almost every 3d sonic has where you're just barreling down the camera and it looks more like a racing game i, I aim to have a little bit of that but uh yeah i'd really like to try to get things going at a fast pace kind of like the uh, 2d ones but not at a breakneck speed like the more recent 3d ones i want control to be completely there and uh, recently i've been playing a lot of mario 3d world as well as bowser's fury but 3d world in particular has quite fast running and uh it manages to keep a lot of control in the player's hands while it do does that and i'll be probably taking a few um a few pages out of its 
book there because yeah i'm much more interested in trying to keep the speed on screen and under the player's fingers uh, which to me any recent sonic games including the ones that are apparently good like colors and generations completely take that control away from your fingers and the homing attack i just feel is uh, it's kind of a betrayal uh of like the main design principle being that you know you should be able to like sonic should be able to control where he goes Um, yeah it's a game about you know mastery over movement yeah yeah and that homing attack just kind of feels like a little bit of a freebie there It, it doesn't really feel like it's um it feels like an i win button and it feels like a concession that they don't have control over where sonic's going either i guess sonic is irrepressible (laughs) yeah um so it'll be interesting to see that um i and uh you know i'll I'll probably hand it to into sage this year if i get it done at time and see what the community says um you know they've got some really impressive stuff happening at sage uh i'm not sure if you're familiar with that tom no um it stands for c c sonic uh age gauge age again with no it's sonic something something it's fan games um that's right. where sonic mania grew up uh christian whitehead and head cannon uh were both um alumni of the sage uh games festival and yeah basically people just submit sonic games their fan games and some of them are actually really fun like i i like checking it out i'm not a massive sonic fan or anything but i really like the community that's in that space like that free independent spirit that goes into making those games. And, you know, I mean, Sonic Team just keep fucking it up and leaving it wide open for everybody. <laughs> so, yeah, it's a fun puzzle to tackle. It's the kind of game that you really want to try because there's a lot of good past there and there's not a lot of good present. Is, um, did Sonic EXE come out of that? I don't know Sonic EXE. It's like the weird Sonic horror game. <laughs> yeah, probably. <laughs> they, the answer is usually yes. Yeah, it's uh, about I mean, a haunted Sonic cartridge. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, the answer is almost certainly yes. Okay, good to know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so uh, procedural modeling tools, hopefully coming soon. Um, and, uh, yeah, that's the, what are we playing slash doing slash making section of the podcast. It feels like we've covered a a real breadth of subjects in this episode. Yeah. Thanks. Now I have to find a title. (laughs) The breadth of subjects episode. (laughs) Yay. Um, so I guess we'll talk about upcoming episodes. So, uh, we've got obviously my game design challenge. We're going to play that soon we'll probably play that in the next episode i think either that or we'll do your the room design challenge so in the next episode we're going to have some guests on to play the ancient greek philosophical olympics yeah so that'll have a theme song too now um all right cool and then uh in the one after that hopefully we'll do uh your room breakdown and start to go into that so i'm looking forward to those yeah no it should be fun and um we'll have some new friends to introduce you all to so until then i've been dale i've been tom and Say, say you cat, catchphrase. It's all games, baby. It's all games, baby. All right, bye-bye. <laughs>